Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we're up to Isaiah chapter 8, and uh, for me, it's actually the daytime. I'm not able to do this live with you. I have a few meetings today and this evening, so I apologize in advance that I can't be with you live, and I also apologize in advance if I seem a bit rushed. I've got a, a window of time that I just need to slot this uh, recording in. And uh, I apologize if I do seem a little bit rushed, but it's, it's a great chapter. Uh, we're going to look forward to uh, unpacking this together. Uh, we'll open with a word of prayer. And I, I should mention that Pastor Murray will be available live on, on the chat. I'm going to try to get uh, back in time for the chat, but I, I don't think I will. But God willing, we'll, we'll see. Uh, well, let's open with a word of prayer and uh, get into the study for today. Heavenly Father, we pause, as we always do, to acknowledge you. And to ask and to seek your blessing upon our study and upon our understanding. Uh, we are going through this uh, scroll of this mighty prophet, Isaiah, Yeshayahu. Uh, we want to be taught by him, Father. We want to understand uh, what you brought him to understand so that we can navigate our course correctly. Uh, and also, Father, so that we can preach this gospel, this great news, this, this wonderful news, accurately and precisely, according to your will and according to your word. We thank you, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is wonderful, brethren. I just thought of one other thing that I wanted to do uh, as we get going here. So let me just tee that up. Uh, last week we were in Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, so I'll just pick up a couple of verses from chapter 7 um, to set us up for today. And let's do that now. Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, just verse 17, just to bring you back to uh, remembrance of what we covered. Uh, Ahaz is uh, resisting working with God, even though God says, I'll, I'll even give you a sign to assure you that uh, these tribes and this confederacy, this conspiracy is not going to be an issue for you. Um, he said, no, I, I don't want to tempt the Lord. I'm, I'm good, thanks. Uh, and what we see is uh, he is just deep with Assyria, wants to make a, a league with Assyria in order to overcome the uh, Syrian and Ephraimite uh, alliance. Uh, so we saw uh, God giving him a sign then. Okay, I'll give you a sign. Uh, the sign is a baby's going to be born, and it will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the sign that you have, you've chosen the wrong path, and this calamity is going to come upon you. Uh, but God will be with those who are faithful. And then here in verse 17 of chapter 7, Yehovah shall bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. So in other words, such a calamity is going to come. We can go all the way back to when the tribe, uh, the kingdom split in two. Uh, you're going you're gonna to experience calamity now and your people are going to experience calamity that you have never experienced since that time. And then that splitting also actually weakened the nation. If they had been a robust, solid United States of uh, Israel, they could have they could have withstood their enemies more effectively. But they split. They were, fell into trouble and trouble and trouble. But this trouble is going to be the worst. And it shall come to pass in that day that Jehovah shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee. That is in the land of Assyria. So God is going to whistle and there's going to be this swarming, these this sort of not locusts, but a swarm of flies and a swarm of bees that are going to attack the land. 
And how will you defend yourself against that? Uh, it's going to be quite amazing. And just a, a, just a little side note here. Notice that Jerusalem is going to be subjected to oppression from Egypt and from Assyria. And what Isaiah is establishing here, which Daniel will repeat, is you are going to suffer both the hands of the kingdom to the south of you and the kingdom to the north of you. So Assyria is north, Egypt is south. So if Isaiah was resurrected today, if Daniel was resurrected today, and they were to feel, okay, what's going on with Jerusalem? Their concern would be the kingdom to the north and the kingdom to the south. And so many are asking today, who's the king of the north? Who's the king of the south? Well, the king of the north and the king of the south are the king of the north and the king of the south, exactly as the prophets would have understood it. And that, I think that will become clearer as we uh, unpack this uh, through the chapters ahead. And it shall come to pass in that day, verse 23, that every place shall be where there were a thousand vines at a thousand silverlings, it shall even be for briars and thorns. So this whole thing is just going to be completely destroyed. They're going to lose their economy. Everything's going to be wiped out. With arrows and with bows shall men come there, because all the land shall become briars and thorns. That is a Deuteronomic curse. This is the, These are covenant curses that are coming upon you because of your unfaithfulness. So that's the context. Let's now come to chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, Jehovah said unto me, Take you a great roll, and write in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. The write concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberakiah. Now, Maher Shalal Hashbaz is the son of Isaiah. And then the name, the name means this calamity, this spoil will, will make haste. It's coming fast. So that's what he was to name his son. And then he's to write in this, uh, take a big scroll and write with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz and uh, that, that son being a symbol of the calamity to come. And so he took uh, faithful witnesses to record. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah. So we have two witnesses to establish the word, but one of them is Uriah the priest. And we've seen him before. In fact, last week we went into Second Kings 16 when we saw Ahaz's uh, unfaithfulness. But Ahaz here in Second Kings 16 and verse 10, uh, recall, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. So this is his, this is his savior. Uh, so he went to the king of Assyria and saw an altar that was at Damascus. So while he was in Damascus, he saw this pagan altar. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it, according to all the workmanship thereof. So then Uriah understood the pattern, the blueprint, how to make it, and then followed along with King Ahaz. And now Isaiah gets him and says, you need to witness this. Uh, so you can see firsthand the calamity that this king has brought upon the people. And you've been involved in this, uh, but that's not going to absolve you from understanding the calamity that's coming. So, so Ahaz would see both sides. He'd see the king's intent and what the king is trying to do. And now he's going to understand God's intent, the true king of Jerusalem, and what God is going to do. 
And so he's writing in the scroll. He's going to put this message in, and these two witnesses are going to understand it. And now in verse 3, and I went unto the prophetess. Oh, so there's a prophetess. So Isaiah was married, and his wife was a prophetess. And so he's received this instruction from God, and so he went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. And Yehovah said unto me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. That was the name that Isaiah was to give to this son. So the, the, the woman conceived and she bore a son. And then Jehovah says, call, her, call the son Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And then he goes on to say, For before this child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, so before it can speak, the riches of Damascus, which uh, Ahaz was running after and aligning with, and the spoil of Samaria, shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So Assyria is going to come in and and he's going to destroy Damascus and Samaria. So they were in alliance together and Ahaz went to Assyria because he was afraid of them. And now we see phase one of God's plan is Damascus and and Samaria will be destroyed. And now concerning the name Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which we know means the spoil, this destruction is going to come swiftly. But just notice the language um, in verse 3, that the prophetess conceived and bore a son. And then God told him what to call the son. When we go to go back to Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore Adonai himself shall give you a sign. And so this is the sign to Ahaz. Behold, a virgin, and, and we know from um, Christ's miraculous conception, that uh, Mary, in fact, Miriam was, in fact, a virgin. Uh, and and she, this conception was miraculous. But the word virgin does not necessarily mean a woman who's never known a man. Uh, the, ver- the, the word virgin here in the Hebrew can indicate uh, a, a maiden, a young woman. So the, uh, a young woman will conceive uh, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. But it's, notice it's the same language. A woman's going to conceive, she's going to bear a son, and she's going to be given the name of the son. And then butter and honey shall he eat, he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. But before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings. So we see the exact same pattern with this child, Emmanuel, as we do with Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It's the same pattern. So what I'm saying here is potentially Maher Shalal Hashbaz and Emmanuel are the same child. That in the time of King Ahaz, there had to be a sign for him to say that he had to process. So within his lifetime, he's going to see this sign to understand, wow, Assyria is going to come in and wipe out these northern tribes. Um, and so Maher Shalal Hashbaz Perhaps he had two names. He was also called Emmanuel. And then the parallelism makes sense, but it also lays down the pattern to be fulfilled with Christ as the true Emmanuel coming to earth. So, and this all, um, before the child will know good and evil, uh, it's going back actually to Deuteronomy, to the Torah, where verse 39 says, Moreover, your little ones, which you said would be a prey, and your children, 
which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in there, the promised land, and I'll give it to them, and they shall possess it. So it's an interesting callback to, you know, the, the, the unfaithfulness of the Israelites and saying, oh, our children are going to be a prey. And God says, no, before those children have knowledge, uh, or, or in that time, these children had no knowledge of good and evil, and you said they'd be a prey. Uh, well, you know what? I'm going to take those children, and I'm going to bring them into the promised land. And now we see this big fear uh, that Jerusalem has that uh, Ephraim and uh, Syria have joined into alliance to come and attack them. And Jerusalem is filled with fear. And again, they doubt God. And again, God says the answer will be in the children. And so we see a child, Emmanuel. We see a child, um, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And we're also going to see a call back to uh, Isaiah's other son. Share Yeshu. So let's continue with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 5. And Yehovah spake, spoke also unto me again, saying, For as much as this people refuses the waters of Shiloh, that go softly, and instead they and, and, and rejoice in Rezin and Ramalia's son, so they refuse um, these waters of Shiloh. And there's some kind of indication here that there's some respect, I, say, I suppose, they have for Ramalia, son. Now, therefore, behold, Adonai brings upon them the waters of the river. So they didn't respect the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh and the relationship that they could have with God. Instead, now, Adonai is going to bring upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria. So this is what they're going to face and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And I think there's just some question there in verse 6, is this people, if he is actually referring to the northern tribes, or as the subject matter has been, the south, but they have some uh, respect there for the, the north. Verse 8, and he shall pass through Judah. Okay, so Assyria is going to wipe out these northern tribes, but also... This uh, King Hahaz was quick to make an alliance with Assyria. And now God tells him, and the king of Assyria shall also pass through Judah. He shall overthrow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. So this this superpower that was emerging, Isaiah is fully aware of the, the changing global nature. And uh, because uh, Assyria was rising in power, King Ahaz said, okay, I'm going to make an alliance with them. And what a, what a uh, fatal mistake to turn his back on God and seek to align with the superpower, the emerging superpower. And we're even seeing it today. We're seeing our, our politicians, um, because they see China is in fact emerging as the world's next superpower. Uh, they're, they're making alliance, selling out the people, selling out the citizens, uh, and aligning with the, the growing superpower. And that's what King Ahaz did here. But the king of Assyria shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of thy land, O Emmanuel. So this is fascinating, that even though this king of Assyria is going to come into Judah, he's going to stop at the neck. So it's not going to be a complete overthrow of Judah. And in fact, as he stretched out his stretch out stretches out his wings over the land of Judah, there is this call back to Emmanuel, that God is with us. 
And so Isaiah is making it clear, King Ahaz, you've, you've made your choice, but God is with us. And this king of Assyria will not be entirely successful because of the covenant that God has with Judah. He then says in verse 9, Associate yourselves, O you people, and you shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all you of far countries. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you shall be broken in pieces. So all of this political machinery that's carrying on in the alliances, and they're going to come to try to crush Judah, Isaiah's got a message. You will be broken in pieces because of Emmanuel. God is with us. Take counsel together, and it shall come to nothing. And this is this uh, view that the prophet has, is the view that the king should have had. That he saw the conspiracy, he saw what where this was all heading, and instead of trusting in Jehovah, he decided he would work things out on his own, and he would trust in man. God, uh, through Isaiah, says, yeah, go ahead and have your conspiracies. Go ahead and have your, your, your confederacies. Uh, but it's not going to, it's not going to come to anything because Emmanuel, God is with us. Speak the word and it shall not stand for God is with us. And in the Hebrew, this is Emmanuel. Emmanuel with us. El, God. Emmanuel. So this is why uh, they can, their designs against Jerusalem will not be successful. In fact, it's God that whistles to the flies of Egypt and to the bees of Assyria to come and to destroy his people. So these, these powerful military nations, as powerful as they are, they're at the beck and call of God. And it's all in his design. And, and God is with Judah. So as powerful as this nation is, it's not going to be successful in wiping out Judah. Now, Emmanuel, we know ultimately that this is Jesus Christ, the power of God with us. And this is, you know, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And in verse 14, John 1, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. So the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh. You know, I've heard some um, Christians, and particularly I was at, in a conversation or a very uh, engaged conversation with a fellow Church of God member, uh, Church of God Seventh-day, I think he was, and he was fellowshipping with us for a while, and, and he just refused to believe that Jesus Christ was God. And I just like, wow, how do you call yourself Christian? And you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And here John is making it clear as he seeks to correct uh, some of the, the uh, in, encroaching Gnosticism that was coming into the church. That look, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14, that same word that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And how do you deny then Timothy? Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was made manifest in the flesh. This, this, is, this is truth. 
It's only this sort of Gnostic influence that, that has caused us to say, no, God and the flesh cannot coincide because the flesh is evil. No, God created everything and said it was good. And now he's coming to save his people. God was made manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the word, received up into glory. So Emmanuel, this is why these powerful nations, their plans will come to nothing. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with Judah. For Jehovah spoke thus to me with verse 11 of chapter 8, Isaiah. For Jehovah spoke thus to me with a strong hand. This is how Jehovah spoke to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. So, the, the, so these people have a way that they're walking and they're being instructed, you know, don't, or as I, as I was being instructed, don't walk with them. Don't, don't follow them. Uh, that I should not walk in the way of this people. And, and you can imagine, you know, the people are many and they're all agreeing to each other that this is, this is, this is how things should go. And, and so if you, if we were alive at this time, it seems like, well, maybe I'm wrong because everybody else seems to be going this way. But God spoke with Isaiah with a strong hand and instructed him, don't follow these people. And, and do not say, verse 12, a confederacy or a conspiracy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. So in other words, these unfaithful Jews are saying there's a conspiracy. We need to participate in this. We, we need to be concerned and participate. No, don't do that. Don't, don't be afraid of these uh, conspirators. So say you're not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear you their fear. Now, don't be afraid of this, nor be afraid. Now, going back, what is this confederacy? What is this conspiracy? Chapter 7 told us, verse 2, and it was told the house of David, saying, confederate, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. This, this is the conspiracy. This is the confederacy. That Ephraim is a powerful, powerful tribe in the north, massive tribe. And they are now joining forces with Syria, another very powerful force. And both of them are in conspiracy against Judah. And the people are panicked. And God is saying to Isaiah, don't go along with the panic of this people, these, these people. And it says here, uh, the king Ahaz, his heart was moved and the heart of his people as the trees of wood are moved with the wind. So they were just blowing all over the place and they just had no stability because of their fear of what was going to come upon them. And God is saying to Isaiah, don't join them in their fear. Don't get caught up in their fear. Instead, verse 13, sanctify Yehovah Zavot, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies himself. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. Don't get caught up with these people. And and the, the Lord of hosts, the, the Yehovah Zavot, if we look at him in Zechariah 12 and verse 13, how he's going to be mighty to save Judah. Zechariah 12 and verse 3. And in that day, God will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. They've all come against Jerusalem. There's going to be a massive conspiracy in the end time with all nations agreeing to remove the Jews from, from Judah and from Jerusalem. But, God says, all that burden themselves with Jerusalem shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth 
be gathered together against it. So here, uh, King Ahaz is dealing with Ephraim and Syria. Uh, in the end time, Judah is going to be dealing with all the people of the earth in a confederacy and a conspiracy against them. And God says, even though all the people of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy them. In that day, verse four says, Yehovah, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. God is a God of war. He's a God of the army. He's the Lord of hosts. He's bringing his army with him. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. So he's going to come to save Judah. And this is Emmanuel for the people of Judah, God with us. Now, verse 14 of Isaiah 8. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. For a trap and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So, so God is going to establish himself, but for both houses of Israel, the north and the south, he, it's going to be a destruction upon them because of their unfaithfulness to the covenant. And in verse 15, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. What a shame. These are the covenant. These people went into the promised land. These are the covenant people. This is the covenant community. This, this is so much hope and expectation around them. And yet, look how they fail. And it brings to mind Pastor Murray's sermon uh, this past Sabbath, where he just shared, like, you know, that unfaithfulness, the seed of it, we saw it in the wilderness. And that was the seed of the, the whole vineyard becoming corrupt. And here it is now, uh, the corruption in full bloom. So many, not a few, many of them shall stumble and fall and be broken and snared and be taken. And this verse 15, it should be chilling to us because of Matthew 24, where the prophecy for the church, spiritual Judah, is that many among us shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Many, not the few, not the majority. And so Isaiah is now instructed, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And this is the same response we have today. Let's establish the Torah and let's not deviate from the Torah. And anybody who's teaching us it's okay to deviate from the Torah, we don't want to hear it. Because we realize the time that we're in, the time is short, and we realize the answer is to be faithful to God through Torah compliance. Verse 17, so Isaiah says this here. So he says, and I will wait upon Jehovah that hides his face from the house of Jacob. To me, this is an amazing statement. This is an amazing statement. People will say, well, well where is God? How do you believe in God? We, we don't see any. Where's the evidence of God? The evidence of God is in his absence. If you understand Torah. If you read Torah and you understand the relationship that he's entered into, the covenant, eternal covenant relationship that he's entered into with his people and the uh, blessings and the cursings of this covenant relationship and how unfaithful these people have been, then you fully understand God's absence and specifically his absence in Jacob hiding his face from Jacob, so that all these covenant curses shall come to pass. 
that, that these people are blinded and made deaf and their minds are arrogant and they don't need Emmanuel because this, these curses have to come upon them for God to be faithful to his word. So Isaiah understood it. Okay, we are in a season where Jehovah is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And that can only mean destruction. Maher shalal hashbaz. That's all it can mean. Swift destruction. But Isaiah says in all of this, I will wait upon Jehovah. Because that's not the end of the story. That's a big part of the story. But it's not the end of the story. God is faithful to his covenant and Emmanuel. God is with Judah. So I will wait upon Jehovah and I will look for him. So there's this sense of you know, waiting, being true to his word, knowing that his word will be fulfilled and actively looking, as Christ told us, to watch. Actively look for him, but understand the unfolding of the prophecies so that we can have this confidence that he is indeed coming. And you know, all of this just takes me back to Isaiah 3.10. And I just love when we read it back in chapter 3. Say you to the righteous that it shall be well with him. So Isaiah is speaking to us today. If you're righteous, if you hunger and thirst for God's word, yes, maher shalal hashbaz, it's coming. It's coming fast. And there's these people who are not taking note of the operation of the Lord. They do not see that he's raising up the king of Assyria and the king of Egypt to the south, that all this world is being reconfigured and the way that it looks today is not the way it's going to look tomorrow there's going to be a new landscape but those who do not observe the operation of the lord the work of the lord they don't see anything happening and they're all caught up in trivialities and and the news of the day whereas if we understand the destruction that's coming and we're seeing america collapse before our eyes and i remember people saying to me oh if you criticize the left you have to criticize the right it's like, no, no, no. This evil thing called communism, Marxism, which is just spectacularly evil, has successfully infiltrated the United States. And the United States is the superpower of the world. And it is rooted and grounded in Judeo-Christian principles. And so as hypocritical as the nation is, there was an establishment of the moral code from the Bible. And that is all slipping away before our eyes as the communists, the Marxists, I should say, to be more uh, accurate. The Marxists have taken over and they are destroying this nation before our eyes. And many of us have no idea what that means. I I wish the future that's coming, the hell on earth that is coming, I I personally wish that it wouldn't come. But it's coming. And for it to come, America must collapse. And for, for the destruction of Judah and the abomination that makes Judah desolate, for that to come, America must collapse. And so, like Isaiah, we will wait upon Jehovah. He's faithful. And from Isaiah... We will be encouraged because he tells us, tell the righteous, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Isaiah is told, say you to the righteous, it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. So it's going to get ugly, brethren, 
Let's be watching. Let's be aware. But let's not be discouraged. It just means that the, the nature of our work changes. There's a certain kind of way of working when things are going well and the economy is strong and we're able to preach this gospel from a, mag- from a megaphone. That's a certain kind of work. But there's another kind of work when the church is weak and heavily persecuted, painfully persecuted. God is still God. And we still have work to do. It's just the nature of the work changes. And I certainly hope that all those who have been caught up in trying to make this world a better place, uh, I certainly hope that they're ready for what's coming. And they, that they, they begin to realize this world, you cannot make it better. You just can't. Satan is the God of this world. So he says, we, we, we can be encouraged. Let's, let's, let's look for him. He's hiding his face right now, but he will appear. He will appear and he will save his people. And we have to know the, we have to know this good news so that we can preach it accurately. And we need to be encouraged, brethren. We shall eat the fruit of our doings. We will do, we will always do those things that please God. Verse 18 of Isaiah 8. So Isaiah says now, <clears throat> Behold, I and the children whom Jehovah has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from Jehovah Zavot, which dwells in Mount Zion. So this is very interesting because Isaiah had children. And this is why the whole context of this from chapter 7 into now leading up to verse 18, why I believe personally that Emmanuel was one of the sons of Isaiah. Because he's a sign. And he says, these, these sons that I have are signs. We, myself, the prophet, and my children, these are signs from Jehovah. So in my view, and I'm just, this is my speculation, uh, Sher Yashuv was his first son. Emmanuel was his second son. And Emmanuel also went by the name of Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So it's Isaiah with his two sons are signs. And so as we read these passages, 7 and 8, we're seeing that, in fact, these men, these boys, are signs. So if we go back to uh, Isaiah 7, 3, we see the first son. Then said Jehovah unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz, you, and share Yashuv, your son, at the end of the conduit under the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So that's one son that was a sign. And we'll see that. And that sign meaning a remnant shall return. So Yeshir Yashuv means a remnant shall return. Then we saw here in verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? It's a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then we see the same language that she was to bear, conceive and bear a son. And we see here his wife conceived and bore a son. And now that Yehovah tells him, call him Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So I just think these are the same, same individual. Verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits. So God is saying, you know what, uh, Isaiah, they're going to come to you and they're going to encourage you to seek unto them, to join forces with them, to support them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. So that's sort of the the magic process. (laughs) So this is quite amazing because I've warned us, brethren, 
I've warned us about the Black Lives Matter movement practicing witchcraft. They are deep into witchcraft. The founders are into witchcraft. I've talked about this several times, and they summon dead spirits. And, and this is what, unfortunately, uh, you know, justice alone should be enough, not to mention they're all about transgenderism and destroying the nuclear family and completely neutering the black alpha male. This, this is what they're all about, which is so incredibly pagan and anti-Christic. And yet we have brethren who have made their skin color their God. And because of that, because that's their highest priority, because that's their highest priority, they're willing to tolerate this witchcraft. And so it's no different. It's like the same patterns. So in Isaiah's day, we had the same thing. People involved in idolatry have, have things other than God as their, their priority and getting involved in witchcraft and wizardry. And then, and then the prophet asks here, he says, and sorry, when I was showing that earlier, I should have um, just shared my screen so that you could see the, the proper headline. So the black, these Black Lives Matter leaders, they practice witchcraft and they summon dead spirits. And this is one of these activists that got caught up in this movement and realized these people are demonic. These people are demonic. And you'll see that on the um, this is on the Christian Post that you can get that article. So. This is where we are, that people are calling themselves followers of Jehovah, but at the same time, they're happy to get involved in the very things that God, Jehovah, considers an abomination. So he says here, um, when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Shouldn't a people seek unto their God? What's wrong with you people? Why are you getting caught up in, with these, these witches? Shouldn't you seek unto your God? And then the implication here, why would the living go to the dead for the dead? <laughs> if you're alive, why are you going to the dead for answers? And that's what these lunatics do. They go to these evil people. They go to the dead uh, for advice. They should, they should go to God. To the law and to the testimony. Again, this is the Torah. If they speak not according to this word, you know why? If they're not purporting the, the, the Torah, you know why? It is because there is no light in them. Did you hear what Isaiah, Yeshayahu, has to say about these people? There's no light in them. Why are you following people that have no light? There's nothing. It's just rhetoric. Don't get caught up in it. And they shall pass through it, Hardly bestead and hungry, so hardly helped. They're going to go through, they're going to go through this calamity, they're going to be hungry, there's not going to be any help for them, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. This is where it's going to come to. So they're all following the king in his idolatry, but they're going to suffer so much, they're going to curse him, and they're even going to curse God. This is a Deuteronomic curse. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 33. The fruit of your land and all your labors shall a nation which you know not eat up. It's just what we've been reading. And you shall be only oppressed and crushed always. 
This is a Deuteronomic curse. God is being faithful to his word because of their unfaithfulness. And we'll just conclude Isaiah 8 and verse 22. And they shall look upon the earth. This is the the, the people of God, the, the Jews. They shall look upon the earth. And behold, trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. So that is Isaiah chapter 8, is some horrendous news, but it's not all bad news, because Emmanuel, God is with us. And and Isaiah understands, so even in, in the face of all this calamity, Isaiah is saying, I will look and I will wait for Jehovah, who is hiding his face from Jacob. So we have some very, very bad news for Jacob. We have worse news for Judah. But then we have good news, because ultimately the people that dwelt in darkness will see a great light. And that is Jehovah, that is Yeshua. Uh, this is the great God, Hamasiah, the Messiah. We're waiting for him. We understand what he's doing. And yes, it's going to get rough. It's going to get terribly rough, but then it's going to get better. God bless you, brethren. Certainly hope you've had a wonderful uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread and that you're in the count now in this Feast of Weeks as we count towards the wonderful day of Pentecost. And we just really trying to understand our role and purpose as first fruits so that we can operate within the will of God, do those things that please God, and, and help point be, be signs and wonders that point to the fall harvest and indeed help him with that harvest. Jesus is Lord. Yeshua, what a wonderful God we serve. God bless you, brethren.